this week when our lay elders gathered one evening for our meeting, I, I started by asking them, how's the state of your soul? How's your soul doing? One said, tired, I'm just tired. Another said, weary. Yet another said, fatigued from having to work at home. Another said, from the loss of routines. Still another said, I, you know, I'm a sales guy and I just miss being out with people and having interactions with clients. And I bet you've probably felt some of those things. Add to those concerns that, well, about the economy, the question of how much longer it'll be till there's a safe vaccine, and the maddening reality that COVID and the economy can't seem to separate themselves from each other since whenever the virus starts soaring, the economy gets crushed. And then there's uh, political fatigue. Some are feeling relieved, others are despairing. Plenty more are worried about the peaceful transfer of power, others about the security of future elections. And none of those things even touch on people's personal issues, right? Marriage issues, some of you are struggling, parenting issues, or even just medical issues and health issues, not COVID related, just the normal stuff of life. With all these things going on, I just prayed, Lord, what's the one thing that you would have us to focus on with all that's going on in so many of our hearts and minds? Give me one thing, Lord. And he led me to one of the great stories in the Bible, one that highlights the fact that even when things seem to be spiraling out of control, <clears throat> God is in control. It's in Daniel 3. So let's turn there right now. While you're turning, I'll give you the context. 600 years before Christ, godlessness had spread throughout the land of Israel. God has warned his people through prophets like Jeremiah, to stop shaking their fists at God in rebellion and to turn back to God in faithfulness and obedience and, or else they're gonna face consequences. Most of them, they didn't wanna hear it. And sure enough, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian troops to roll through Jerusalem destroying the temple, knocking over the walls and stealing sacred objects from the Jewish temple and placing them in the treasure house of his Babylonian God with a little G. And that's not all. Cleverly, Nebuchadnezzar kidnapped several thousand of the brightest and the best young Jewish men. They were the ones who were handsome and smart and promising because he wanted to tap into their gifted gene pool and intermarry them with the gorgeous but godless women of Babylon in hopes that they would eventually forget all about the God whose land they'd been kidnapped from. Nebuchadnezzar was building a society of captured people from different nations and different languages and cultures all around. And he was seeking to get them all on the same page. And to help out, he concluded, all these diverse people living in Babylon, we, we're gonna need something that'll hold us all together, something that'll unify everybody. How better to do that than to form a common religion around a statue, which everybody would have to bow down to and worship. So Nebuchadnezzar invests a lot of effort and a lot of money into the construction of this towering golden statue. 
And then he has music performed by every instrument imaginable. After telling the people, when you hear the music, you bow down and you worship this statue. And if you refuse, I'm going to have you thrown into a fiery furnace and you'll be burned alive. So picture the scene. Countless numbers of people from different countries, different languages, there they all, all, all are together. And just on cue, the music starts and the people hit the ground, except for three. Most didn't notice them at first, but a few people started peeking, sort of like kids do when you're praying the blessing over dinner. And then a few others started peeking and still more and until finally there was an audible ripple going through the crowd to where finally most everybody was sort of gawking in disbelief at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they would not forsake their God. Oh, now God had felt silent to them and he felt far away to them as, as they had been carted off to Babylon and forced to go through all that they were going through, but they didn't focus on their circumstances. Instead, they stayed faithful. They kept looking upward, surely praying, God, we don't understand why we're going through all of this, but we know that you have been faithful to our forefathers throughout all the ages. So no matter what, we're not quitting on you. And so in this act of monumental courage that seemed like suicidal folly, they refused to bow. With that set up, let's, let's look at Daniel uh, 3, starting in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image, I've made very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. I think that was probably more of a rhetorical question. I don't think he really was looking for an answer. Sort of like when you say to your, to your little child, no, do we flush toys down the toilet, honey? Do we poke other people in the eyes? You don't really want to hear, well, you know, sometimes, Dad, you just gotta spice it up a little bit. No, but these three, they actually respond and they speak back to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. As even if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he'll rescue us from your hand, O king. The key was that despite their circumstances, they, they were trusting. They were still trusting in their God. They say, hey, he's able. He's able to rescue us from danger. He's able to deliver us from your hand. Our God is able. You know, the truth is, friends, I, I don't think it's possible for any of us to spend too much time reflecting on stories that teach us this one truth. Our 
God is able. And, and you know this. Come on, you know this. You've, you've, you've seen it. You've experienced it. You know this from your own life in certain situations. Our God is able to heal <laughs> damaged bodies, cancer, heart issues, and other problems. Our God, he's able to free people from addictions and to reconcile broken marriages. And I could point you to many, many instances where he's done just that. Our God, he's able to bring the rebel child home, to soften the hardest heart, to forgive the darkest sin. Our God is able, these three say. Oh, now, while they were saying, our God is able, don't you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also praying? <laughs> they were praying that Nebuchadnezzar would change his heart, but he didn't. Don't you know they were praying this silly decree would not be enforced, but it was. Don't you know they were praying God would spare them, but none of those prayers were answered. Not one. Talk about disappointment. The parachutes, they weren't opening. The worst was yet to come. And still they said, our God is able. Let's pick it up at verse 17. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from us and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, verse 18, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Our God, he is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, even if he, do, even if he does not, your honor, we, we can't worship that. We're not quitting on our God, no matter what. Now, <clears throat> you and I, we know God can do anything he wants, right? With the snap of a finger. But what I've been thinking about lately is this. What about when he doesn't? What then? Do you trust him then when he's not coming through the way that you wanted? With your life, with your family, with your children, with your health, with your job, with your finances? with the country, with the world. What about when he's not coming through the way that you'd been asking? What's your relationship with him like then? See, we Americans, we struggle with suffering more than any other nation. Tim Keller writes about it. People all around the rest of the world expect suffering in life, but not us, because we're Americans. And we tend to think, if there's suffering somewhere, somebody's done something wrong over there, which really makes no sense, right? Because Jesus lived a perfect life and did nothing wrong, and yet his life was filled with suffering. So why do we expect that we should get a free pass? Half the problem, I think, is the fact that we just can't get over the shock of suffering. I shouldn't be suffering. I shouldn't be going through this because I've been living such a good life, which right there reveals what your faith is really in. It's not in God. Your faith is really in your agenda. It's in you. And, and I'll, I'll confess, far too often, 
if my life is going well, when things are breaking in the right direction, I'm getting good news, I too, I am more likely to feel excited about serving the Lord and to be more generous with my time or my money or even to be, you know, to share the gospel with other people more willingly. But when things aren't going so well, where I feel, feel, feel like I'm getting a little bit closer to the furnace of life, it, I, it's tempting to start bending the knee to the little gods of self pity because the name of that statue in our passage the statue that has no name I think we could call me pastor John Ortberg points out ultimately you and I will either bow down before that statue or we'll bow down to the one true God but you can't have it both ways Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, though our situation is bleak, we're only going to bow to the one true God. Verse 19, and then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. Verse 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. It's not looking too good at this point. Three young men facing what looks like their final moment. Their immobilized bodies tied up, being tossed into a raging inferno. They've been faithful. They've chosen the hard right over the easy wrong. Yet every door is still closed. Still, though, they were faithful. You know, they feel the heat as they're being carried closer. And then they see some of the men carrying them to the furnace. They collapse and die from the heat of the flames. And finally, they're in the flames. They're waiting for the searing pain, waiting for the numbness that they're going to feel waiting for the smoke to start to fill their lungs and suffocate them. But none of those things happen. They don't feel any different. They don't even feel warm. They're not even tied up anymore because the ropes have been burned off. And, and, and now they're starting to walk around freely in the furnace. And here's the best part, verse 24. <clears throat> then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, wait, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, oh, certainly, king. He said, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. There's a fourth person in the furnace, also unharmed. What was he doing? He was delivering the other three. So theologians write about who was the fourth man? Who was that man that King Nebuchadnezzar says he looks like the son of the gods? <laughs> he was a lot closer than he realized. Theologians agree that this was the pre-incarnate Christ, the son of God, the word who was with the father from the beginning and who was God. 
And there they are in the furnace, the four of them spending some time together, having a little small group meeting right there in the furnace. And wouldn't you have loved to have heard that conversation? <laughs> I've wondered if maybe the fourth man said, hey, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I wonder if he said for centuries to come, men and women who are facing hard times, who are facing suffering or trial or persecution or even death, they're gonna draw strength by hearing what you did today. I wonder, if, I wonder if the Lord told them because of this one act of faithfulness, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, your names are gonna be remembered and talked about even 2,600 years from now. What had looked like the worst moment of their lives was becoming the greatest moment ever. Because the furnace turned out to be the place where God was closest to them. Here's the whole point of the story. Sometimes God delivers us from the furnace. He's able to do that, but other times God delivers us through the furnace. Sometimes the Lord gives us what we asked for and other times he says, not this time, but I'll meet you in the furnace. And when that happens, the place that looks scary and dangerous and painful ends up turning out to be where Jesus is, which is the safest place of all. I think the Lord may want a lot of us to hear him say, stay close to me. I've told you, I'll be with you always, have I not? This time, I'm just choosing to be with you in the furnace. Let's finish the story. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that walk as they came out unsinged, unharmed, not even smelling like smoke? Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and rescued his servants. Now he's congratulating them. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other God other than their own. And therefore, he said, I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses will be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar, he just never really went halfway on anything, did he? He was, he was kind of prone to extremes. Verse 30, and then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He didn't just restore them. He lifts them up to new positions with more opportunity, more influence. And this is the last time they're ever mentioned in scripture. What's got me wondering this week, I wonder what happened with the rest of their lives. As they grew older, I've, I've wondered, I don't know, maybe if 
annually on the anniversary of this date. Maybe they still, the three of them, got together for dinner just to remember that day that God had met them in the fire. I bet if they did, I bet they also put on those robes that they'd worn in and out of the fire. And if they did that, I bet their wives probably said, really, are you still wearing those? They're so out of fashion. But they couldn't let it go. They had to because the day they had worn those robes into the fire was the day that they knew, that they knew, that they knew. Our God is real and he is able. It's just that sometimes he chooses to meet us in the fire. But however it went, you know they never forgot that day. I mention this because I, I think there's a, a great danger for us Christ followers who are living today. I think the danger is that our, our, prim our primary goal tends to be furnace avoidance. I think we're all guilty of it, right? God, deliver me from pain, deliver me from discomfort, deliver me from suffering, inconvenience, make my life easier, make it smoother, make it happy, make it comfortable, make it pleasant, make it obstacle-free, God. But I don't know, I just kind of felt like maybe the Lord is saying in 2020, it's time for a new prayer. Maybe it's time to pray a little less, spare me from the fire, God, to start praying more. God, meet me in the fire. For if I have you, I'll have all that I need. Who knows, maybe there's a non-believer like Nebuchadnezzar in your life. Maybe God, God's plan is to reach that person through you. Maybe the only way you'll ever get that person's attention or respect is for you to pass through your furnace, still trusting in him. Jesus never said that God has a plan for your life that involves a great house and amazing spouse and terrific high-paying job and endless days of great health and ease. What Jesus said was, follow me and you'll experience outrageous joy. But there will also be trials and tribulations. But I will be with you always. And the reason that we know that we can make it through life's penultimate furnaces is because Jesus went through the ultimate furnace for your sake and mine. He came from heaven to earth and he lived the life of sinlessness that none of us could live so that he would qualify to die the death of punishment on a cross that all of us deserved. So that on the third day, could conquer the grave that we would never be able to conquer so that whosoever believes in him, whosoever tethers themselves to him by faith might have life everlasting and eternal. That's the gospel, that's the good news, friends, and thousands, even millions have come after him over the years, taking up their crosses and following him through their own seasons of suffering and persecution, trial, even death. 
And when their final moment came, which it does for all of us, they didn't despair. For God hadn't forsaken them, forgotten them, or abandoned them. To the contrary, he said to them, even as he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and some years later to Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and later to Paul and Peter, who went through their own suffering and martyrdom, he said the same thing he said to countless followers of his who've passed through their own centuries of plights and plagues and famines and wars, said the same thing that I just have a sneaking suspicion he's saying to you today. This time, I'll meet you in the furnace. All our furnaces are different. As I saw in my lay elder meeting, every, all, all of us, we all have our own problems and worries and trials and situations. And yours feels big to you and hers feels big to her and his feels big to him. But regardless, let's focus on who will meet you there. The one who says, fear not. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you give us that you will pass with us. Lord, this is a rough season. It's a rough season for so many of us, particularly uh, becomes fatiguing, exhausting, tiring, anxiety-provoking. Friends, if, if you've been feeling just some of those feelings, particularly I'm thinking of fear, you're feeling just sort of scared about everything that's going on, why don't you just tell him that right now? And just say, Lord, I am feeling scared right now. And hear him remind you, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If we have you, Lord, we have all that we need. Wouldn't you remind us of that? And friends, maybe you're feeling uh, sort of, um, you're feeling your fists just sort of cling on to things. You're trying to control something and it can be downright uh, maddening. And there again, causing anxiety, causing fear, all sorts of emotions. Hear the words of the psalmist. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why don't you just surrender? Surrender whatever it is that's burdening you. Just, just let go of that and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm giving it over to you. And if you haven't given your life over to the Lord in the first place, why don't you just give your whole life to him today and just say, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. I need a savior. I need you to save me. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, 
to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to fill me anew with your spirit and to give me clarity, guidance, and purpose. Because I want to build my life upon you, Jesus. Help me to build my life on you. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus.